This is Alexandra Watkins, author of Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both discover new ideas so we can better succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is produced by my marketing firm. We work with manufacturers to help them grow. If you're a manufacturer and are serious about growing your business, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. And very special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oribe. If you're overwhelmed by Google Analytics data and not sure how to turn it into actual insights to improve your website conversions, you can get a free 10-day trial, no credit card required, by visiting oribe.io slash marketingbook. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash marketingbook. And use that link to get 30% off your first three months. And unlike Google Analytics, you'll get a helpful and friendly conversion expert available 24-7 to answer your questions and show you nifty tricks and hacks to optimize your conversions. I'll have more details in a bit. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Alexandra Watkins to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick, published by Barrett Kohler. Alexandra Watkins is the founder and chief executive boss lady of Eat My Words, a branding firm that specializes in creating names that make people smile instead of scratch their heads. Alexandra first got hooked on naming when Gap hired her to create cheeky names for their first line of body care products. Soon after, she broke into the business by talking her way into Landor, which is one of the biggest branding firms in the world, via a Match.com date. With her fresh, unconventional naming style, Alexandra soon became a go-to resource for countless branding and naming firms around the country, and Landor sent her enough business to open her own firm. Since then, she's generated thousands of names for snacks, software, sunscreen, social network sites, sportswear, shoes, sugar, scrubs, serums, and seafood. And that's just the S's. She also named lots of things that make you fat and drunk. Prior to Eat My Words, Alexandra was an advertising copywriter working at leading ad agencies up and down the West Coast, including five years at Ogilvy and Mather, where she helped launch Microsoft Windows and learn the language of geek speak. In the mid-90s, she jumped on the dot-com gravy train and rode it until it crashed in her San Francisco backyard. Alexandra took the money and ran, spending a year in Australia, New Zealand, Bali, and Fiji disguised as a 21-year-old backpacker. Upon her return, she followed her true passion and became a namer and soon after started Eat My Words. And interesting fact, Alexandra 
has eaten her way through over 45 countries where she's sunk her teeth into local delicacies, including barbecued squirrel in Tanzania, ostrich carpaccio in South Africa, stewed camel meat in Libya, and lobster marinara in Cuba. Her favorite food, though, is Jif peanut butter, which she once survived on for two days on the remote island of Amantani in Lake Titicaca, Peru. Alexandra, congratulations on Hello, My Name is Awesome, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, Doug. I just want to clarify something for your listeners that when I did talk my way into Landor via a match.com date, that the entire experience was rated G. Okay. Well, Alexandra, in addition to my having the best looking audience uh, in the podcast (laughs) world, seriously, I've met a lot of these people and they are a good looking group of people and they're very smart and all that sort of thing. They don't judge. So even if it weren't G-rated by going through Match.com, you know, it's all good. It's all good. But that was very clever that you did that. And I have to share with you one admission about your book. I read this book uh, last week while I was flying to uh, Minneapolis. And I started laughing so hard that people started looking at me. And it was one of those things where I felt like I should be quiet because you know it's like being in church, but I couldn't stop laughing, and I wanted to share it with people. But you know that that usually gets uh, the air marshal called, and they you know they start to arrest you. But there's only one other time where I've been reading a book on a flight, and I couldn't stop laughing, and that was Unbranding by Scott and Allison Stratton. It was so funny that that time I was flying with my wife, and she, of course, as usual, was sort of embarrassed by my behavior. And she said, stop it, stop it, people people are looking at us. And I, so I showed her that section of the book, and she started laughing, and then everybody started <laughs> laughing. So you have an infectious sense of humor, and it comes right out on, on the pages here. Thank you. So I want to start with a quote, actually a couple quotes. This is such a fun book. Pop quiz. When someone sees your brand name, how do you want them to react? A, exclaim, I freaking love it. B, struggle to explain it as if they're reading hieroglyphics. C, go back to looking at their phone. D, throw up a little bit in their mouth. Obviously, you should be shooting for choice A for awesome. Your brand name makes a critical first impression, even more so than your shoes. How many times will someone see, say, or hear the name of your brand in its lifetime? Do the math. The number of impressions is incalculable. No other investment you make in your business will last longer or get used more than your name. Getting it wrong can have painful consequences. Just like jumping into a relationship before you really get to know someone, you may not discover the faults of a poorly chosen name right away. You'll be too caught up in everything else you need to do to launch a new product or company. It won't be until after you've started to build a future together that you realize your name has issues, and you'll be forced to find ways to justify it. And then you go on to say, I don't want you to make a decision you will forever regret. Luckily, when you read this book, you will no longer be oblivious to the obvious. And then, this is actually the second uh, edition of your book. So for anyone that's read the first edition or has heard about this, this book has quite a bit more. And you say more than 50% of the content here is brand spanking new. Not new 
as in I was too lazy to add anything of substance, so I regurgitated the old content and fattened up the pages with extraneous fluff. Nope. New as in I was hell-bent on writing a bigger and better book because I had so much valuable new material to share and wanted to give you the Fort Knox of naming know-how. This is solid gold, baby. Speaking of that, in the book, you also quoted Austin Powers. So, I mean, (laughs) it's like you were writing it just for me. But uh, I want to say, because there were so many other things, funny, twisted things that we're going to go into. But for the person that's listening, and maybe this is the first time they've ever listened to the Marketing Book Podcast, they're thinking, oh, I'm never going to have to deal with a brand name. That's just not something I do. I work for a company and they already have a name. You have no idea. Okay, we're not just talking about naming a company that's brand new. There are, in my career, I have been involved in lots of naming things, whether it is naming a new product or a client that is forced for legal reasons to change their name, or maybe it's a new service you're offering. And you even talk in the end of the book, which is part of the brand spanking new part, you talk about <laughs> being able, you, you'll need. You are hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, I wish you recorded my audiobook, and I love my audiobook artists, but you are hilarious. Well, thank you very much. And as my wife would say, don't say that. It'll only encourage me. But at the end of the book, you even talk about the importance of giving people job titles that are creative or conference rooms or things like that. So what prompted you to want to write this book? Is it because you've seen so many really unfortunate naming problems exist that you were trying to do what you could for the the betterment of humanity? Because in the book, you talk about so many epic fails of brand names. What led to you wanting to write this? I did not want to write a book. Let me clear that up. (laughs) I I was begged and begged and begged by uh, a publisher, Barrett Kohler, to write this book. I thought it would be a lot of work. It was. Um, but the more I talked to them and the more I realized, yeah, we have so many people that come to my firm, eat my words, that can't afford our, our services because we work with a lot of corporate clients. And I knew that they really needed help. I have been doing a lot of talking, speaking to entrepreneurs, especially teaching them you know, how to ace the startup name game. And I, I could just see the light bulbs going off when I would talk to them about what makes a good brand name and what makes a bad brand name and what they were doing wrong and how to avoid the pitfalls that they were kind of falling into. So once I kind of realized, yeah, you know what, I could just take this this talk that I give and blow it out into a book with a lot of really fun examples and stories from, you know, not just, you know, fails that you might have heard of, but a lot that you haven't. And just things from my own experience doing this for 15 years. So that's how the book came to be. And it really has helped save people from making a lot of mistakes. Well, so thank you. you, you I've already nominated you for that Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, you can nominate anyone for a Nobel Prize. So um, if anyone out there needs me to nominate him for a Nobel Prize, you can then say, I was nominated for a Nobel Prize. But in the... Doug, I'm going to nominate you for a Nobel Prize. <laughs> thank so you. you. Can Although you probably already had somebody do it. No, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> thank you. And uh, all those listeners in Sweden, you know, I may need a place to stay when I come to <laughs> accept the award. 
So you've got these two really great uh, acronyms that form the backbone of the book. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if we could just go through them as sort of the backbone of this interview, because (laughs) that's what uh, really helps people to understand these things. And it's uh, the first one is smile, which is the, the five qualities of a super sticky name. And then the second one is a scratch, which are the seven deal breakers, which are just the mistakes that you see all the time. Would that be okay if we, if we go through smile Absolutely. at least? Okay. Absolutely. So the first one is suggestive, which evokes something about your brand. So suggestive and suggestive not meaning like, suggestive as in naughty. That's the first thing I thought, but go ahead. uh, Well, because you clearly have a dirty mind. Um, Yeah. Suggestive just means that it should evoke something about your brand. Don't make people guess. When they see your name, it should have a little hint about what your brand is or does. And of course, a name can't be expected to say everything, but it should provide a clue. So not in an over obvious way, but in a way that activates the imagination. So, for instance, uh, have you heard of the Impossible Burger? Well, only f- by reading your book. And oh, you s- okay. All right. You say it's available on menus ni- nationwide. Try one at a White Castle or the Slutty Vegan. And the Slutty Vegan really is the name of a restaurant. Yeah, so Impossible Foods is, they are the pl- they're plant-based, you know, quote-unquote, meat. And Impossible Foods activates the imagination. It suggests something about the brand, like, ooh, what did they do that's impossible? Oh, unbelievable. What type of food yeah. did they create? So yeah. another suggestive name is Amazon, right? Amazon suggests something very large. So a great way to think about suggestive names, often they're metaphorical. Think of perfume names, right? They're, the perfume manufacturers have this down, uh, escape euphoria. So those are all suggestive of a brand experience. Mm-hmm. And there was a uh, perfume. <laughs> was it? You know where I'm going with this. There was some perfume joke in here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm so cute. I love you. You read my book. I think you're the best. Okay. So I talk about how perfume companies have this down in another industry that really gets it with suggestive names are car manufacturers. Oh, yes. Think oh, that's S- right. Yes. Right? Think of SUV names, right? Explorer, Expedition, Yukon, Denali, Wrangler, right? Those all suggest rugged outdoor adventure, right? In one little word, a word like, you know, Yukon, it suggests, you know, oh, it's outdoors. It's, you know, I'm in the elements, right? And you're probably only in the parking lot of Trader <laughs> right. Joe's. Yeah. But yeah, my joke was that, uh, I said, coincidentally, yeah, Escape is the name of both a perfume and an SUV. Um, and imagine if cars were designed by Calvin Klein, right? That would be really cool. But yeah, I'm not as excited about the thought of Ford manufacturing a cologne. Right. Right. Yes, that that would not work. So, <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure they talk about doing stuff like that. It just hopefully it doesn't get out of their conference room or their brainstorming room. Yeah. So the next one in smile is memorable, rooted in the familiar. 
Right. So memorable, what makes a, me- a name memorable? It's, it's really hard for people to know how to describe that. And I found a really easy way for people to think about it. So I'm going to just give you an example of you being, all of us have been to networking events. So imagine you're at a networking event, whatever industry you're in, and you meet a woman named Lucinda from LeapFrog. Now, you might forget Lucinda's name three seconds after you meet her. Mm-hmm. Even if you say, nice to meet you, Lucinda, three seconds later, you're like, wait, what was her name? Laura, Lisa, you're going to forget. But you're not going to forget LeapFrog. Why? Because it's rooted in something you already know, the mm-hmm. childhood game of LeapFrog. So your brain has made an association with something familiar. So later on, you know, three weeks from now, you might completely forget you by then you will not even remember what Lucinda's name. Did it start with an L? What was that woman's name? Leapfrog is still going to be stuck in your brain. And when you need to recall information later from your brain's dusty filing cabinet, it's much easier to do that if you've already latched onto something because it's something you know. Mm -hmm. And this is really helpful we think of it, another way to think about this is think of somebody you've met in your lifetime that has a memorable name. For me, a couple examples, Wilma. I had a masseuse named Wilma who I knew for all of 47 minutes. I don't recall what she looked like or really anything other than her name because it was so unusual. And of course, it made me think of Wilma Flintstone. Me too. Before I even read to that part, I immediately <laughs> pictured Wilma. When I was doing my crazy year off of backpacking and I was in New Zealand, I met a helicopter pilot named Chopper. That's a name you'll never forget, right? I met a woman on that trip named Daisy. We remember names that we can picture in our head or have some association. But when it comes to a name that's totally unfamiliar, like there's a a company that's spelled X-O-B-N-I. How can you remember something that you have nothing in your bl- brain to latch onto? Yeah, and actually, XOBNI, and there's on this one page, you've got these nine words, and I've never heard of any of these companies, and it's like it was a Scrabble, like somebody scrambled the Scrabble pieces. Yeah, dr- drunken those, Scrabble. Drunken Scrabble. Are those real companies? Yeah. So, um, do you want me to spell a couple of them? Well, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I've got it in front of me. It's like what one, did you say? One of them is um, Perfony, P-E-R-F-O-N-Y, and one of them is called <laughs> Vonigi, or Vonigi, V-O-N-I-G-I, and one of them is called Aladtech. Anyway, they're absurd, and of course, one of the things I did remember from one of your many jokes in the book is that you know, in addition to not breaking the other rules, you don't want any name that rhymes with feces or has the word perv in it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just what I remember. It was memorable, okay? Thank so you. imagery, visually evocative to create a mental picture. Right. So some of the names I just talked about. Yukon. Yukon, right? Mm-hmm. Denali. Those all have great imagery. So imagery is where when you hear the name, you can picture something in your head. And again, that helps with recall, right? It makes it more memorable. Yeah. So like the leapfrog. Right. 
a name like Timberland, right? The outdoor gear company. Mm-hmm. I hear Timberland. I don't know what you think about it. I think of, you know, like little birds chirping in a forest and babbling brooks and nature. So that name is full of imagery. The electric car named Leaf. We think, oh, a leaf on a tree. So, you know, there's a cosmetic company called Hard Candy. Those are names that are full of visual imagery. Now, you want your name to have visual imagery in a good way, not in a bad way. Uh, Like the company called Toilet Tree. (laughs) No, wait. Is that the name? It was spelled. It was. Oh, I'm sorry. It's spelled T-O-I-L-E-T-R-Y. No, 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 no. It's spelled Toilet Tree. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the story goes, and this is true, It, it this all of it's true, but this is really, unfortunately, really true. And I was just invited to an event again, sponsored by Toilet Tree, but I, uh, I received a, an invitation to a charity event, and one of the sponsors was Toilet Tree, and I thought, oh, God, what a horrible name, like, you know, to sponsor a fancy event, well, like, maybe it's a supplier of, you know, paper products for commercial restrooms, but, you know, but no. Or it's like a toilet for deer hunters who are up in trees. <laughs> well, I didn't think of that. I just, I, I didn't know what to think, but toy, I looked it up online, toilettree.com, and they sell personal care products, including ones for better oral hygiene. Ew, right? Like electric toothbrushes, flossers, things you put in your mouth. Uh-huh. Toiletry. Oh, honey, I love this new electric toothbrush. Where did you get it? Oh, I got it at Toilet Tree. Like, really? <laughs> Is that like Pottery Barn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as a name, Toilet Tree stinks. So, yeah, make sure when your name has visual imagery that it's positive visual imagery. Right. And there's a few other little tricks we're going to talk about to uh, make sure you uh, don't go uh, through the guardrail. So the next one of smile is leg, which means that it lends itself to a theme, like for extended mileage. So what are are some examples of, of something like that? Well, I'll give you an example I really like is there is a woman named Lynette Hoy, and she is a publicist, and we named her PR firm Fire Talker PR, and her tagline is hot on the press. So you see, you know, we're getting into a theme here of fire. Mm -hmm. Her title is the fire chief. She works in what she calls the firehouse. When she goes and speaks in front of an audience to get them pumped up, she takes out her boombox and plays that song, Fire, by the Ohio Players. So that's an example of a name with legs. Um, One that I really love is, for those listeners of yours who know Jimmy Buffett, the singer-songwriter, he is famous for his uh, Margaritaville is his most famous song. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. Searching for my sugar song. And he has a has lent his name to some retirement communities for people that are 55 or older, which is, you know, targeting kind of a younger crowd than, you know, grandma's, old, you know, retirement home. Right, I get more of a young, young at heart like him. Yeah, young at heart. So these retirement communities are called Latitude Margaritaville. And 
He has, it's so brilliant. The street names are things like Castaway Court mm-hmm. and Tiki Terrace, Flip Flop Way. Right. There is Attitude Avenue, Landshark Boulevard, right? Lost Shaker Way. <laughs> uh, his, the, All these references like, to his lyrics and right, albums. Right, right. Uh-huh. The business center is called the Coconut Telegraph. There's even a pet resort called the Barcaritaville Pet Resort. So that's where you can see a name with legs, right? It's this whole tropical laid-back lifestyle. And a name with legs, you can really do a lot with it. You can use it for, you know, titles of your blogs and newsletters and, you know, even your wireless network or, you know, hashtags, promo codes, company awards. There's a lot you can do with a name like legs to really get more mileage out of your name. Yes. Yes. And so the last one is E, which is emotional and it it moves people. And seems like that might be the most difficult one, is it? Yeah, I think that this is difficult because, you know, I I think you know, because you're reading uh, Indistractable and you just had Near E all on, consumers are so bombarded with distractions and it's hard to break through. So you want a name that resonates with people and that makes an emotional connection. So think of a name that you've seen. A, A good example of this is wine. For those of you who aren't wine connoisseurs and maybe like me, go to Trader Joe's and just look for wine label names that appeal to me. A name like Cat's Pee on a Gooseberry Bush is actually the name of a wine or, you know, Menage a Trois or, uh, you know, any of these names that are very clever. Mm -hmm. Those are names that make an emotional connection. Versus something that's just, if you're not a wine snob, sorry, a wine connoisseur, a name that doesn't really mean anything to you or doesn't make you smile. And emotional goes back to does it make you smile Mm -hmm. or does it make you feel something? And one for me, for instance, I used to wear a lot of jewelry when I lived in San Francisco and people actually dressed up when they went to meetings, unlike San Diego, where no one wears shoes. Not that they don't have shoes. They just elect not to. They They don't really need to. Yeah, it's ridiculous here. People just don't... I have a closet full of clothes and shoes and jewelry. I don't wear any of that anymore. (laughs) We can wear it around the house, I suppose. I I suppose. Uh, I was at my jeweler one time, and she had a ring called the Boss Lady Ring. And that really made an emotional connection with me because I thought, yeah, I'm the boss lady. I deserve this. Yeah, and another time, oh, this one, uh, mosquito problem I was having. And I went on Amazon and there was a bunch of these electronic mosquito zappers. They look like uh, squash rackets, which I think is funny because you squash a mosquito. But there was one called the Executioner. That name made a very strong emotional connection with me because I wanted to execute these little buggers. And, you know, that name was much more effective at, at getting my attention and connecting with me than something called... Zergon or bug quick zaps. So, right. Or yeah. um, uh, lethal injection. You know, you wanted it to be, it sounded like a better uh, brand promise, actually. Yeah. Or just something that connects with people that yeah. gets noted, that breaks through. So, another, a couple more of those wine names, you know, 
Seven Deadly Zins, Layer Cake. Think of the name Cupcake, right? That Cupcake is that wildly successful wine brand. And people associate cupcakes with celebrations and happiness and good times. Mm -hmm. That name makes such a strong emotional connection. Now, a very well-known, gigantic wine company came to me and they said, we want a name like Cupcake. We want to compete with that brand. And the name we've come up with is Baker's Dozen. It makes no emotional (laughs) connection. Yes, they both come from a bakery. That is true. But Baker's Dozen, there's no celebration. There's no party. There's no little sprinkles on top. There's no creamy, yummy, delicious icing. It's bread. (laughs) Might have come from the same place as the cupcakes, but that's about all it had in common. Yeah, so I think that's a good example. Cupcake versus... Baker's doesn't. Like, yeah. which one is, is getting you excited? Cupcake. Yeah. Cupcakes and Cupcake. wine. That's pretty much all <laughs> I eat and drink. Actually, is it true that if you live in California, the state just sends everybody bottles of wine? <laughs> That's what we, I heard. We, yes. Yes. Man. You know, the more I hear about California, I'm just, I'm just amazed. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you about this sweet, free 10-day offer from the nice folks at Aribi that does not require a credit card, will make you look smart. And frankly, if you don't take advantage of it, I might wonder if you're listening to the right podcast. Plus, there's an additional special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Have you ever looked at a Google Analytics report or tried to explain it to someone? As marketers, we're drowning in website data. Getting actionable insights from Google Analytics isn't easy. It was built for analytics experts with plenty of time, technical resources, and a deep understanding of that platform, unlike many of us. Oribe's goal is to make web analytics easy and accessible for everyone. And the Oribe platform has proven to be a game changer for thousands of businesses. That's because Oribe translates your website data into actionable insights and helps you focus on what really matters and what requires your attention. And unlike Google Analytics, you get a helpful, friendly conversion expert available 24-7 to answer your questions and show you nifty tricks and hacks to optimize your conversions. Remember, this is a free 10-day trial that does not require a credit card. So even if you don't end up using Oribe past the trial, you'll get access to all the reports and insights to improve your website conversions, and you'll get 24-7 access to a conversion expert. But wait, there's more. Marketing Book Podcast listeners who sign up for Aribi will get 30% off their first three months. With savings like that, you might consider sending your host a bottle of single malt scotch. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and take advantage of this offer, go to aribi.io slash marketingbook. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash marketingbook. There's also a link to it on this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now, back to the show. So there are certain deal breakers that you have, and I'll go through these quickly, and we don't have, may not have time to talk about all of them, but it, it spells out scratch. And that's a spelling challenged. It looks like a typo. A copycat, which you started to touch on just there. It's, it's similar to competitors' names. It's restrictive. It limits future growth. It's annoying. <laughs> is forced or frustrates customers. Tame is flat and uninspired. Curse of Knowledge is one of those brand names where only the insiders get it. And also there are some that are just hard to 
pronounce. So you say that if you need someone to spell, pronounce, or explain your name, you are essentially apologizing for it. Explain yourself. Every time you have to spell your name for someone, so you're stopping to explain, oh, but it's, you know, tackle with two Ks. Or Or the number two. Yeah, right. Right, right. Or you are explaining how to pronounce it or what it means. You are essentially apologizing for it. I saw a commercial yesterday for... Uh, it w- they ran on the Super Bowl too, and I heard a uh, where I was listening to a podcast, and I heard a commercial for this too. Let me look up the name of it. It is a company. Their entire TV spot is how to pronounce their name, and people pronouncing their name wrong. Let me look it up really quick. It is called Rakuten, R A K U T E N. So their entire commercial. Is is it like a drug for raccoons or something? No, <laughs> it's some type of shopping website where you get money back on your purchases. Okay, first of all, okay, let's just talk about that for a minute. What does R A K U T E N? What does what does that name even mean? Like, what does that have to do with getting money back? Let me go to their website really quick. I don't know, but it sounds like it's it's actually it's like they went through the seven deal breakers and tried to see how many they could <laughs> how many they could check off in one word. Let me ask you though a, a question. You uh, and this is super relevant to a lot of listeners. You talk about how B two B companies are so fearful that if their name is unconventional, they won't be taken seriously. Why why do you argue that's that's not the best approach? Well, I can tell you firsthand because I have a B2B company and we work with huge brands like Coca-Cola, Amazon, and Disney that having a creative name being a B2B company is actually a good thing. People shouldn't be afraid that like, oh, but we're doing business with these people. We have to be so serious. That's not true. People are people and people like to work with people that are interesting and fun. And we know that when people see a name that is clever, what it communicates is, hey, we're creative, we're fun to work with. And, you know, well, what, Alexandra, what about something more serious, like, uh, you know, the medical industry or a law firm? Well, for a law firm, we uh, were working with an attorney named Layla Banajamali. She knew no one could ever remember her last name, spell it, pronounce it. So she came to us and said, give me a name that's, you know, will attract the customers I want to attract, easy to spell, pronounce, and understand. She worked with a lot of startups that needed all of their starting documents, right? You're starting a company. There's all kinds of things you need an attorney to do. So we named it Bedrock, being the foundation, you know, and a name that people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Easy to write, like Wilma, right? Hard to forget. Visual. And the name, right. And she said when they changed the name, it helped them attract the type of clients they wanted to attract, right? And it was so different than every other law firm. And there is a healthcare consultancy, you know, this is getting serious into, you know, medical device. They work with medical device companies. Mm -hmm. and Probably highly regulated. Yeah, yes. And, you know, ooh, we have to be so serious. But no, their name is Fresh Blood. 
which I love that name, right? It breaks through. It's so memorable. So you think of, you know, you're just, think of you're at a, you know, back to being at a networking event or you're at a convention, you're meeting all these people, you see name tags, nothing really stands out, but you see Fred from Fresh Blood. Ooh, what's that? You re- and you're asking what's that in the most excited, curious way, not like, you know, XOBN. Oh, what is that? How do you pronounce it? What does that mean? You're, you're starting the conversation from a point of interest in the best way possible. So as it relates to these unpronounceable or weird names, how much of it has to do with a company trying to find a domain name before they pick their brand name? And why is that exactly the wrong order to go in? Well, that's a great question, and thank you for answering that. And I think I would say 90% of that is the reason why. There's this terrible misconception out there that people think they need to have the exact match domain name. Look, there are no more left. I mean, the internet ran out. I I don't know what number is I put in this book, but I mean, I think the last book said 220,000 registered domain names. No one expects you to have an exact match domain name anymore, and you certainly shouldn't pay for one. Why would you want to spend all that money when you could simply add a word with your name? So, look, I got lucky. When I started eatmywords.com, I was able to buy our domain name for $1,200. But if I couldn't get it, I could get eatmywordsbranding.com or eatmywordsnames or Mm eatmywordsnaming.com. When you add that modifier word, it actually helps. It helps you get better search engine optimization. So it's not a bad thing. And we tell our clients all the time, like the last, most people start at GoDaddy or a domain registrar looking for that available domain name. I know this for sure because I do this all day long. I talk to people at conferences. And when I tell them, you know, you don't need to start there, go there last. It's way better to come up with a brand name that's great and just add a modifier word than to just keep knocking things out. And I'll give you a couple examples that might surprise your listeners. Tesla, for maybe the first dozen years, was not at Tesla.com. If you went to Tesla.com, you would see a very ominous-looking screen that said, this site is owned by GandhiNet. Now, what would you do? If you were looking to buy a Tesla... (laughs) And you went to Tesla.com and saw it was owned by GandhiNet. What would you do? Would you give up? Uh, I would probably just go to uh, the Google machine and put in something <laughs> like Tesla car. There you go. And let, and let the nice folks at Mountain View just find it for me. Right. And how long would that take? How many seconds would that take? It would have been faster than how long it took for me to describe what I would have done. Right, exactly. So that's what happens. So you would get to the site, right? You wouldn't even, you'd get there, you wouldn't even notice what the domain name was. Would you care? No, I want the information that I'm looking for and I want it quickly. Right, and would you not trust that company because they didn't own Tesla.com? No, no. Right, so if you think about it like that, by the way, the domain name was Tesla Motors. And then they were able to get Tesla. Some some years later, they got Tesla and Facebook. They were the Facebook uh-huh. until 2005. Um, Square is still Square Up. Basecamp was Basecamp HQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
all of these companies that have now turned into wildly successful companies eventually did buy the exact match domain name, but it didn't stop them from becoming wildly successful companies. Absolutely. So the worst place to start your uh, brainstorming for a product name is a, a domain registrar like GoDaddy.com. Correct. And in your book, you generously include the entire creative brief that you use for your clients. And, uh, and you even showed an example of how you used it for a, a client and uh, how, it, how it turned out well. You also include a whole section on brainstorming, like how you go about brainstorming, which for me was really interesting. You definitely pulled the curtain back there and showed how uh, interesting that is. And I was a little surprised by your explanation of the ideal number of participants for brainstorming names. How many people should you do it with? One. You. <laughs> okay. Than being in a brainstorming meeting and somebody shooting down your ideas. Yeah. So you look, look, this is so archaic. Think about it. You're sitting in a white room. Think about how, how do we often brainstorm? We're at work. Everybody goes in the conference room. We're Maybe there's a, a pizza. Yeah. Yeah, there's a pizza. We're going to look at, we're going to sit in a white room. We're going to stare at a whiteboard and we're going to try to come up with colorful ideas. Like who does that? What Everybody does it, but why? Why would you sit in a vacuum and do that when everything you need to brainstorm is right in front of you on your computer, on the internet, and you can do all of this on your own? Yes, so the best place is not in that, conference room. It's sitting in front of your computer alone, as we've discussed. And the single most powerful brainstorming tool is the internet. And that go in the book, you go through all the different places that you typically go to. And it also gave me an appreciation for the amount of time that something like that can take. So I'm I'm sure that you must get calls from prospects saying, um, can you just uh, send us a couple uh, or can, can you can you give me a couple uh, product names just on the phone while we're talking here? Like, yeah, okay. Uh, well, it, you know, don't you can't rush a cake. So anyway, there was, and but then even then, you you go into great detail about how to reveal the names and how to present them. And one of the things that was also interesting that you know I stood up and, and uh, saluted is when you recommend against doing focus group testing for names. Yes. That's where the the names must go to die. It is. It is. And every naming professional has a story. And what happens in a focus group is everybody in a focus group considers themselves to be a font of wisdom. And come on, they're not. Nobody knows a product better than you do if it's your product. But you're letting these complete strangers give you their opinion on a name. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of names that I believe would have been killed in a focus group and some comments people might have said. So, for instance, Coach. We all know the brand, the luxury brand Coach. Mm-hmm. Someone might say, you know, Coach, ew, no, that's the worst place to sit on an airplane. That's not a luxury brand. I want to sit in first class when I'm carrying my Coach bag. Or Coach, no, that's a sweaty guy with a whistle. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
<laughs> no, there's not. No judgment. Um, <laughs> the, the body shop, right? You know, internationally, wildly successful beauty brand, yeah. right? The body shop. Ew, gross. It makes me think of a greasy mechanic. Right, mm-hmm, the, the, mm-hmm. the auto body place. I was just at my at my mechanic. You know, you know, you go and you sit inside like the the dirty couches. What you know, the old pinup calendars and all that, <laughs> and like you know, bad coffee. But like, no, they they thank goodness did not focus group that name. I, one that I love to talk about is Virgin. Obviously, a huge brand. You know, Richard Branson's brand. I mean, can you imagine if Richard Branson had sent a survey monkey to his mates asking <laughs> for them to weigh in on Virgin? It mm-hmm. may have never flown. So, yeah. yeah, don't focus group your name. Do not ask everybody you know for their opinion. Yeah. Look, if, if you want to really learn what makes a name great, it's all. It truly is all in this book. Um, it's on our website too. You can oh, you can go to eatmywords.com, and on the homepage, you can t- you'll see something where you can test the strength of your brand name just by going. You put your name in, and then you answer the twelve questions to evaluate it through the smile and scratch test, and then you'll see how your name scores. And so that's a way that you can test it for free. But yeah, you you do not ask strangers because look when. Strangers are asked, what if it's your friend, right? They're going to, oh, or your mom, right? Oh, honey, I love that name. Your friends don't know. People are just trying to be nice. Yeah. And uh, we'll include a link to your uh, site and everything so that people can find that and uh, and test out their, their brand name. Another thing that was interesting is that you said that you should check, this is one of the many things in the brainstorm, check the Urban Dictionary definition. And, you know, another trick that you had on there that I thought was just brilliant was test your name to see and hear how Siri or any other voice recognition bots spell it. Yeah, it's so true. People don't think to do that. I call it the Siri theory. And if Siri doesn't know what you're saying when you ask for something, really reconsider it. Because put yourself in the shoes of your customer. You want your name to be approachable and easy. And if you, one time I was, I was, you know, writing the first book and I saw this, there was a new catering service and it was spelled C-H-E-W-E-S. And I'm like, shoes, shoeies. And I'm like, you know, hey, you know, Siri, find shoes, shoes. And she said, you know, I found 13 shoe stores near you. And we know that you don't need shoes anymore. So, I mean, <laughs> clearly Google didn't know that you were in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So, be, so try that one out. Try yes. Out. That's a great one. Now, people say, Douglas, uh, why do you host the Marketing Book Podcast? And First and foremost, it's because of the things I learned by reading books, and in particular, many of the things in your book, but specifically, Colgate introduced a toothpaste in France named Q, spelled C-U-E, and it turns out it was the same name as a notorious French porn magazine. See, I would have never learned that, but how do you go about making sure that your name doesn't mean something uh, racy like that in another language? Well, first of all, the fear that, oh my gosh, what if my name means something dirty in French? It's really something that people worry about or think happens far more often than it does. It doesn't. 
if you are going to have a brand that's sold internationally or you are international and selling anywhere else other than your own country, definitely have a foreign language uh, search done. And then also, yeah, check, you mentioned the Urban Dictionary. You want to make sure that your name doesn't mean anything dirty in the Urban Dictionary, especially right. if your audience is teenage teenagers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, do a little do a little searching. You would be surprised some of these huge mistakes companies have made n- simply not by just doing a Google check of what else could this name mean. Yeah. Um, one, you know, Whole Foods as recently as 2018. Oh, that's right. Whole Foods partnered with a restaurant named Yellow Fever. Now, I know this because I've traveled so much. A yellow fever is the name of a deadly mosquito-borne infection that kills thousands of people every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't think to do that. And it, it's also a racially charged term signifying a non-Asian person being attracted to someone of Asian descent, usually with the connotation of fetishism. That is is a quote from the, the dictionary or the slang dictionary. Mm-hmm. So. Whole Foods made that mistake, and uh, the internet blew up. And look, these days you can't afford to quietly make a mistake. There's no such thing as a quiet mistake. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Hey, one last thing I wanted to ask you about the book was talk about naming conference rooms and job titles. I've seen companies do this, but I didn't realize the sort of the power of, of doing something like that. Yeah, thanks for asking that. I did write a new chapter about this because it's so much fun. And uh, it is the power of names in the workplace. And it doesn't cost anything to name your conference rooms or change job titles or have a little fun around the office. But the value of it is just how much it delights your employees and your guests and also your potential employees. And in a job market like today where employees have a lot of different choices of the companies where they can work, if they come to your company and they see like, oh, this company has fun conference room names or I love the name of their cafeteria, it's going to make you more appealing. So, uh, and it can also, a, a fun thing about conference rooms is it can really bring people together to have something fun to talk about. So, for instance, I give some, I get, I give away some free ideas in the book. Lots. For conference rooms. Well, for the, for the conference rooms, I just made some up. Like, what would be good conference room names? And some that I thought would really inspire a lot of conversation would be names of childhood toys. So, Slinky, Magic 8-Ball, Lightbright, Furby, My Little Pony, or Iconic Dances, you know, the Funky Chicken, Electric Slide, Watusi, Cha-Cha, Hokey Pokey. Those are things that no matter, you know, what level you are in the company, what department you're in, those are all things that we can all talk about and have fun talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's why I thought those were good ideas. Um, One that I came up with that I thought was hilarious was naming your conference rooms tongue twisters. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid superstition, swizzle scissors, rural juror. This is one that's taught, you know, New York right. and, and three free throws. But yeah, conference rooms bring people to, together. They make the office more fun. Uh, LinkedIn has awesome conference rooms names. They're named after iconic San Francisco events. One being Pillow Fight. Another is How Weird, named after the annual How Weird Festival on Howard Street, uh, which is right 
where LinkedIn is located. Riverbed Technology names their conference rooms after fish. Twitter names their conference rooms after birds. So you get the idea. And again, that's a name with legs. But give yourself a fun job title. Like I talked about Lynette at Fire Talker calls herself the fire chief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that also can help with uh, recruitment because it gets your employees talking about what it's like to work there. And it helps with the uh, word of mouth marketing. And let's not overlook the fact that... (laughs) Alexandra Watkins, she even threw a bone to McDonald's, and she said the CEO of McDonald's, his or her title should be Lord of the Fries. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) So, Alexandra, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Your name needs to be friendly and welcoming to your customers, just like a welcome mat. Absolutely. And it also seems like too often... The cow's out of the barn. It's like they've got the name. <laughs> and the next thing you know, they're running ads on TV, like you were talking about that uh, raccoon medicine, uh, where they're, they're, they're kind of behind the eight ball of uh, they're, they're, they're apologizing uh, for what their, um, what their company name is. So what's one thing the listener could do today to put in action an idea from your book? Name something that doesn't have a name that's not going to cost you anything. I will give you... A really easy example. What's the name of your wireless network? Most people's wireless networks are a jumble of, uh, you know, alphanumeric scramble, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it was when the AT&T guy came out. Well, on my iPhone, I renamed it FBI Surveillance so that when there I'm in the, in the airport, people tend not to want to try to get in. But anyway, <laughs> right? what would be an example of a good uh, Wi-Fi name? Oh, mine was Creepy Guy Next Door. When- <laughs> <laughs> When I lived in a big apartment building, that's what mine was. Um, But yeah, so here at Eat My Words, uh, in our San Francisco office, our wireless network was called Candyland. And And our passwords were always names of candy. So think of something like that. What's something related to your brand that you can give it a little more personality? It's not going to cost you anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Name your cafeteria. Even if your cafeteria is your kitchen table and, you know, you work from home, give it a name. (laughs) Right, right. Right? Have a little fun. And I I think you'll see when you do that, it really makes people smile and people talk about you. Amen. Amen. So, Alexandra, what books have inspired your working career? And you're not allowed to say your parents' books because you you, earlier you told me both your parents uh, are authors. Yes, that is true. So I won't say that. The biggest inspiration for me was Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers. Yes. And I had, I was at a conference and Chip Heath was speaking at like some ungodly hour. Like I'm not, I really recall it being 7 a.m. And he was going through their acronym SUCCESS and it made me think I need an acronym. And that's where the Smile and Scratch Test acronym came from. I did write it down on a cocktail napkin. I wasn't drinking cocktails at 7 a.m. Sure you weren't. (laughs) But yeah, made to stick. It's all about making things sticky. I also love their book, The Power of Moments. Oh, the newest one. Yeah, the, their newest book. Mm-hmm. It's it's just about how do we create these moments, moments that people for, are unforgettable and that people talk about forever. And another book, uh, you know, Hooked by Nir Eyal. I know you just had him on as a guest. Uh, Nir's new book, Indistractable, is a book that I love. I was working with him on the subtitle, 
which we wanted to call mastering the skill of the century because mm-hmm. it is quite a skill to be not be distracted. So those are those are some books and and authors that I really like. And I think that would have been a better one, but uh, as I understand it, the uh, publishers kind of overruled it. But uh, that's yeah. that's really cool. That and I was so excited to to read about him in in your book. So there you go. At marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to eatmywords.com and all the other books that you've talked about and your uh, social profiles. We're definitely going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile so listeners can learn more about you, maybe even connect with you. And thank you. I hope they'll thank you for joining us on the show. This has been so much fun. And for you, dear listener, if you are listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick. The author is Alexandra Watkins. Alexandra, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Doug. You are awesome. And that closes the book on episode 247 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Aribi. To start turning your website data into actionable insights, get your free 10-day trial, no credit card required, by visiting oribi.io slash marketing book. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash marketing book. And don't forget, make sure to use that link to get 30% off your first three months. You can also find that link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Rich Horwath to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his graphic novel, Strategy Man versus the Anti-Strategy Squad, using strategic thinking to defeat bad strategy and save your plan. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. I'm going to send you a copy because I realized when you were reading it, when you quoted something from it that um, you still have the galley. So I'm going to send you the real book. Oh, was I getting things wrong? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You didn't get anything wrong. No, you didn't get anything wrong at all. Okay. No, there was something you read that had it had a word in it that I took out between when you read it, when the galley was published and when the book was published. Was it about the French porn magazine? No, no. It's like, I say even more than your shoes and my editor wrote even more so than your shoes. Oh, okay. okay. That rolls, rolls off the tongue. So, yeah. So, no, I will send you the book. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.